It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is Time Enough Podcast. Welcome to Time Enough Podcast. It's where we talk about episodes of The Twilight Zone and beyond. This is Matt here. Joining me today from the Mission Log Orville podcast is Captain Mike Richards. Got to put the captain on today. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think it's funny that that is not, that that comes completely from uh, external to myself. Um, yeah, I know. <laughs> which I've, I've kind of learned to live with, but I would never introduce myself that way. So <laughs> no, that's why I'm introducing you that way, because because today's episode is Odyssey of Flight 33. So, you know, it's it's a, a fitting space to do that. Have you flown a Flight 33? Oh, I'm sure I have. You know, the, the numbers um, kind of run the gamut. Uh, usually flight one to about six thousand are used for commercial purposes. Um, above that, you start getting into things like ferry flights, charters, things like that. But believe it or not, the airlines have, you know, a rhyme or reason to the numbers that are assigned to flights. Um, and it usually kind of starts with lower numbers, like one, two, and three, like Transworld One, uh, when I was back in the day when I was at TWA, uh, kind of circled the globe going one direction and Transworld Two circled the globe going the other direction. Um, and then they had flights three and four and five and they kind of went went up from there. Um, other airlines, you know, if they're just flying around Texas, the flight one probably goes, uh, makes a little triangle. Flight two probably uh, makes triangle in the other direction. Um, east and odd, uh, excuse me, east and west, odd and even is kind of a convention also. Yeah, I, I felt stupid last year. I was reading a book and only like just learned about the uh, interstate system in America. Mm. Like if it's north, if it's generally north to south, it's an odd number. If it's generally east to west, it's an even number. And if it goes around the city, it's a uh, three digit number. Yeah. And, and I guess they just sort of looked at it like a graph because as we all know, you know, kind of life and, you know, history and settlement in the, in the U S kind of started in the East and and went West in many ways, the colonization anyway. Um, But this grid system kind of looks more like you're, you're looking at a graph. So starting in the Southwest United States, uh, you got the five in LA, right? And then you got uh, 15, 25, 35. And so you get all the way out to the East coast and what runs up and down the East coast is I-95. And then East West, there's 10, 20, 30, 40, uh, starting with the South and up around Chicago, you've got I-80 and I-90 that run through that way. So it goes that way. It just always seems so backwards to me that it starts in the Southwest when, I don't know, I'm from the East Coast. So I guess I kind of think of everything revolving around me there. Yeah. Well, um, excuse me. Oh, I totally lost that train of thought. So let's get into, <laughs> let's get into the skies. Flight numbers, everybody. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can't even claim the uh, you're on daylight savings time, which addles everyone's or off daylight saving time. Yes, we are now on everyone's s- brain and, standard uh, time. There is a move to uh, stay on daylight savings time all year, starting this spring. We'll see what happens. Well, I, as someone who's lived in Japan for 12 plus years, I very much like not changing my clocks. But uh, yeah, for my for the podcaster at, at this time of year is slightly stressful <laughs> it's like am i going to get the person on at the right time <laughs> oh yeah so uh living in indianapolis like i do now we only started changing our clocks uh in about 2010 so everybody else would spring forward and fall back and we were just always on eastern standard time all year round which meant that in the summer months we were uh east we we're uh, essentially even with central time and when we were on Eastern Standard Time in the winter months, we were same with New York when they were on Eastern Standard Time. So we kind of flip flop back and forth, which would, with which big city we sort of associated with. Um, and it was kind of nice because I never had to mess with it. But <laughs> flight schedules would change by an hour and shows would start an hour off and things were just weird. So it's easier now. I just kind of like I just, I just want to be the same as man. I just want to be the same as everybody else. That's, that's all I want to do. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, yeah, now you got Zoom and you just plug in the time and it, and it translates yeah. into your own time. And you're like, so if you screwed up it, you know, much faster. You know, back when we had to do Skype, I definitely had people, all, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm an hour early or something. So better to be and, an and hour that was, early that was hour funny. Late. You were more plugged into it than I was because you were like, hey, don't you, uh, isn't that the day, last day of daylight savings time? And I'm like, man, I don't know. Um, maybe, maybe. Uh, so I was like, just set up a Zoom appointment. It'll tell me what time to show up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A little dread for me. Um, for this episode, the original air date was February 24th, 1961. Uh, the script is by Rod Serling, though he did get a lot of input from his aviator writer brother, Robert Serling. Uh, this apparently helped in the authenticity of the cockpit dialogue, and you can agree or disagree with that as we go along. <laughs> Wholeheartedly agree. Spoiler. Okay. <laughs> the show happened in great part because American Airlines had created a mock-up of a Boeing 707 and solicited for Hollywood types to come and shoot there. Uh, Rod readily accepted the offer. And I saw in your notes, you were mentioning that a seat was missing on either side. So they might have just scaled it a bit, you know, to save a few dollars. <laughs> like right. You, you were saying they should have three seats on each side and they only have two. But maybe since it was a mock-up, they were like, well, we can reduce the scale of touch and sure. people won't notice. <laughs> uh, Captain Favre was Barver, yes, was played by John Anderson. We've already seen him in a passage for Trumpet, and he will make two more trips into the Twilight Zone. His career started on Broadway, which evolved into a four-decade stint with spots on all the TV shows. One of those things where I'm not even going to start typing the names of them. <laughs> His final spot, though, was on Quantum Leap, and he was commemorated with a dedication on the official soundtrack album for that show. Paul Comey is first Officer Craig, and we've already seen him skybound in the episode People Are Alike All Over. Of course, he'll later show up in Star Trek's Balance of Terror as the somewhat bigoted Lieutenant Stiles. <laughs> uh, it's a good thing there is no room for bigotry on the flight deck, nor the bridge, so... He's a class Styles act. Is in right this at one. Home. Class he act is. in this one. Yeah. Maybe not in Balance of Terror, but <laughs> the navigator in this episode, Magellan Hatch, is played by Sandy Kenyon. He worked the TV scene of the time, notably with a recurring role on The Americans. A few decades down, he voiced John Arbuckle for the first animated Garfield special, Here Comes Garfield. So I thought that was kind of weird. That is. <laughs> Especially would have been what, like, 60 something at the time doing john arbuckle so that that was yeah. a little bizarre but hey hey that's what you know it's a voice you, you can still have james earl jones do darth vader when he's in his 90s so yeah <laughs> and it's reasonably effective so yeah i guess we should talk about a little bit what's right what's wrong because uh the twilight zone notoriously makes hash out of space travel so then park has, you know, <laughs> there wasn't space travel yet right so they i was gonna say in their defense they were kind of inventing space travel but uh now we have air travel which you know is a is more legit in 1961 so uh how did that pan out so you know with, with the jet age you know the 707 uh launched in 1959 uh, and there were some other corporations that built similar aircraft at the same time. Um, there was a de Havilland Comet. There was um, the Douglas DC-8, and they all kind of were about the same vintage aircraft. You know, highly swept wings, uh, you know, generally four engines mounted under the wings, although the Comet was a little bit different. Um, but it was high altitude. It was high speed. It was it was leading edge technology. And it just, I, I think it just sort of captured the imagination um, of people, as well as sort of the you know, maybe some aspects of, of fear, but man, I really, I really thought that the aviation scenes were extremely well done. Um, I used to do a little bit of flying across the North Atlantic when I was with Transworld Airlines. And even though it was the nineties and not the sixties um, and the two thousands also, but not the sixties, a lot of the procedures were the same. I mean, when they cut onto the flight deck, they were doing a position report. And that's something that you do because there, there's no the radar out over the ocean. Um, it can't go that far, so you're not under air traffic control uh, with with any kind of radar. Um, so you report your position, and there's somebody that you're talking to on the radio that kind of plots the positions of all these airplanes and make sure that nobody's gonna hit anybody else, basically. Um, but crossing the North Atlantic about every ten degrees of longitude. 
which is which ends up being about 45 minutes at those latitudes that if I got that right, um, it's about every 45 minutes to an hour, you report your position, then give an estimate for the next one, including the time and your altitude um, and the name of your next fix. And then they also threw a little meteorological report in there too of temperature, weather, and things like that. And that was, man, that was spot on. I mean, I would love it if I was watching modern shows that got aviation as right as this did. It's almost, yeah, it's like this is kind of a uh, infomercial in disguise. You, you said the, the 707 debuted in, in 1959, you know. Oh, meticulously engineered and designed. It's like they kind of... <laughs> tricked tricked rod into doing their commercial for them but i mean yeah what do you say you know he had a good script for it or whatever so whatever you know everyone wins and in the end it's like yeah there was i'm sure there was some sort of conversation with american that said just make sure the people don't think there's anything wrong with the plane and (laughs) and that line and that line was put in there of this airplane is perfectly designed and engineered so i i I, you know I, i i bet that was probably part of uh the agreement to use um americans mock-up although um rod was notoriously you know persnickety with with sponsors coming in and telling him what to do although in that case like whatever i can write a story where the plane works fine so yeah (laughs) Yeah. few years later the plane definitely well it has a gremlin ripping off the engines to make it not work fine but (laughs) (laughs) But nothing wrong with the plane i mean that's just an angry gremlin what are you gonna do um you know that's funny you you mentioned the uh the navigator um credited with the first name magellan that's right interesting okay because we all know magellan the navigator right circumnavigated the globe um he personally didn't (laughs) well it was part of a team part of let's let's get that right part of part of a big team um but when i was a a new first officer on the uh, mcdonnell douglas md80 um getting getting checked out by an old uh old salty seasoned vet uh he just we just sat down he started calling me magellan did that for the whole entire trip may have mo- may have known my actual name might not have i don't know <laughs> may have been a <laughs> fan the end of this of, episode <laughs> yeah at the end of the he may have been at the end of the trip he uh signed my paperwork and i was i was good to go at that point so it didn't didn't matter a whole lot to me but uh yeah in fact one of the flight attendants came up and said hey what time are we gonna get there and he's like i don't know why don't you ask magellan over here <laughs> uh so as soon as as soon as i plugged into this and rewatched it for the first time and not terribly long, probably the first time in a few years. Anyway, I uh, just kind of kind of chuckled at that opening scene. Yeah, uh, I, I read a book about um, that journey a few years ago, and I, I think they set off with like something like three ships and four hundred people. And I'm I'm probably wrong on both those numbers, but something. Of but that. lots, lots of ships, and, lots of people. Yeah, yeah, and showed up, you know, like five years later, or something with like uh, eighteen people. Again, all those numbers are probably wrong, but the general feeling of it is is correct. <laughs> and Magellan, which was one of them, that survived. Oh no, I no, he, he no, oh, no, no, he tried no, to make okay. himself a a god in the South Pacific <laughs> and got himself killed. <laughs> That's funny because we'll we'll get to that later on, maybe when we're when we're talking about uh, uh, some of their notes uh, down the road. Um, the flight attendants look great, man. They look just like uh, you know vintage '60s flight attendant uniforms. They wore it well. I was a li- honestly, I was a little freaked out when one of them just walked into the flight deck. I was like, whoa, hey, hey, you can't. You can't do that. Then I'm like, oh, I, yeah, I guess I guess they could do, do that then. back then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of, as uh, we. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, it's just because obviously that's all changed quite a bit in the last 20 years. Yeah, <laughs> that caught me, too, because of well, yeah, actually that was, you know, you, you could bring little Timmy up and ask him if he likes gladiator movies. Before <laughs> <right>? <laughs> yeah. Um, as we plop into the story of this a little deeper, uh, could you give me a quick reading of the prologue, which I believe you can now see? I can see that. You're riding on a jet airliner en route from London to New York. You're at 35,000 feet atop an overcast and roughly 55 minutes from Idlewild Airport. But what you've seen occur inside the cockpit of this plane is no reflection on the aircraft or the crew. It's a safe, well-engineered, perfectly designed machine. And the men you've just met are a trained, cool, highly efficient team. 
The problem is simply that the plane is going too fast and there is nothing within the realm of knowledge or at least logic to explain it. Unbeknownst to passenger and crew, this aeroplane is heading into an uncharted region well off the beaten track of commercial travelers. It's moving into the twilight zone. What you're about to see, we call the Odyssey of Flight 33. All right. Now, yeah, now that you've read it, there, there's almost like a little commercial right smack in the middle of the prologue. <laughs> yeah, there sure is. It's like, oh, oh, oh but, so, save your phone calls, folks. Uh, the airplane's fine. <laughs> but um, it, and to that effect, yeah, the flight crew is, you know, cool as a cucumber throughout this entire episode, as opposed to um, uh, as we're talking, uh, the back there episode of this podcast just went on on live. And um, that's another example of someone. Well, I, the image I used is uh, the professor, Russell Johnson, you know, wildly banging right. on the door of a uh, Ford theater, like not not doing <laughs> well with his time travel experience. So right. they, these guys, yeah, they they I mean, they, they do it kind of Starfleetish, right? <laughs> they, they did, man. And that, that captain was it was funny because, you know, as he started off, it was just so kind of stereotypical of kind of the ego that many, many airline pilots have. Well, thanks to great teamwork and my expert flying, we're going to be on time even a couple of minutes early into Idlewild today, which, by the way, is now known as John JFK, John F. Kennedy Airport, for those of uh, the listeners that maybe didn't know. I, I noticed um, I didn't put it in the trivia because it was too in the weeds, but um, it seems like people did. S- oh, I'm thinking LaGuardia. Oh, it's LaGuardia, right? Uh, well, well, there's JFK. two. Yeah, so the two main airports in New York, in addition to Newark, which is in New Jersey, is uh, JFK and LaGuardia. And JFK was formerly known as Idlewild. Okay, okay. Oh, there we go. And LaGuardia, I guess, had just some different name because I was knowing that it didn't officially get the name until it was open for like eight years. But it said people just two weeks after it opened were already calling it that. So. Oh, okay. Interesting. (laughs) Um, Yeah, but apparently it was LaGuardia in 1939 because that's when they were talking about LaGuardia. Right, but it wasn't officially the name, but that's oh. what everyone called That's what everyone called it anyway. It's kind of like how we still call it, or a lot of people still call it the Sears Tower in you know, Chicago, even though it's... Yeah, yeah, you spell Sears, W-I-L-L-Y-S. Yeah, you know, if, if Ferris Bueller calls it the Sears Tower, then, then you, you call it the Sears Tower. <laughs> <laughs> that's, all, that's all there is to it. Um Man, the speed, though, you know, I mean, there was a couple of really neat references to speed where the captain was like, whoa, I just got a sensation of speed. And then he even said, well, it's gone now. And then dude in the back who is that's also a commercial for wearing over the ear headphones or earbuds or something in the back of an airplane um, that British, uh, I think he was a naval officer who was getting talked at by some woman for far too long <laughs> so you could tell he was not wanting to listen but he picked up on a sensation of speed too but then he even clarified and he said well not speed acceleration because you can't really feel speed unless there's something relative to you right yeah, another you car driving next to you or the wind or something like that um but you can feel acceleration right you get pushed back in your chair you, change, you know that, that sort of thing um, so they did kind of draw that line. I thought that was smart to draw the distinction between, you know, a sense of speed and a sense of acceleration. Um, I also liked the distinction that they made between airspeed and ground speed. Cause when they were starting to go over 900 knots and then 1100, I mean, that not, they said their true airspeed was 470 knots at one point, um, to get up to 900 knots of ground speed. That means they would need 430 or approximately knots or approximately 500 miles an hour of tailwind to get up that fast and styles who ought to know better man because he was a navigator on uh on the enterprise i mean it wasn't for another couple of years i get it uh but even as a a a co-pilot for global airlines he should have known that ground speed and airspeed are two different things and he mentioned the wings coming off and the captain was like come on kid ground (laughs) speed doesn't matter it's our speed through the air that matters um and that's why they weren't He's got a good five years to go to the academy and learn that, right? Yeah, he does. He'll probably, you know, they usually teach stuff like that in Captain Upgrade, though. So as a co-pilot, you probably didn't, you probably didn't get that, you probably didn't get that training yet. But man, they got over three thousand knots at one point. They said, mm-hmm. um, you know, which is which is impressive, man. That's 
you know, that's New York to LA in, in an hour. Wow. Um, well, which, it's like, which was because we hear about speeds in space, right? You know, how fast the Voyager probes are currently going. That's sort of right. Thing, which, and those numbers just sound insane again, because there's, there's nothing there. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I know, yeah, and I remember reading, you know, one point, you know, the, the shuttle, I think 18 to 20 something low 20,000 miles per hour um, upon reentry. So when it first kind of starts to skim the atmosphere, that's, that's going about 20,000 miles an hour, if not a little bit more than that. Um, so super, super fast. This might, this might go in the, the white people all look the same, Ben, but I was like, if you add the three guys on the flight deck together, except for the co-pilot who looks different, uh, you get Daniel Craig. <laughs> you you kind of do, you know, and it's funny, uh, 60th anniversary of James Bond this, uh, last month of October. So all, all of the films, uh, all of the Eon films anyway, were available on Amazon prime. Um, watched them all, uh, finished last night, uh, oh, with my wife with Spectre and no time to die. Uh, it was, it was a lot of fun. It, it really was. Uh, I will probably save this for your spy fi podcast coming up in the future. Um, but yeah, so I, I've had, you know, some, some good looks at Daniel Craig lately. And when I saw that note on there, I just, I just laughed, but yeah, they did Man, the captain, he had great pipes though. I mean, he had such a, a commanding voice, uh, really, really enjoyed, uh, kind of the gravitas of, of the character that he played in this, in this episode. Now they, they kept mentioning speed so much. And of course you couldn't in 1961, but could the in-flight movie be speed? Is that reasonable? Because you, do, you don't show you don't show crashing planes on a plane, right? You don't show any air trouble in an in-flight right. movie. It's like, but speed is it's still like like you know like public transportation. So, I think uh, I, th I think I think car crashes are okay. Uh, they do, as you know, like to stay away from uh, hijacking and and <laughs> and air disaster films. I guess because that movie has kind of a plain feel and that they can't really get off the bus, right? So <laughs> I was like, would that it does. one be okay? Would that one be okay it, on a plane? Uh, it definitely kind of does. Um, the other line that I love that the, the captain said was, um, ours is not to question why, into the valley of public relations and reluctantly picked up the handset to make the PA. <laughs> which is which is kind of funny because, you know, as, as pilots, um, we like to fly planes, right? We're kind of technically oriented and we, we are, uh, you know, try to try to maintain our proficiency at flying the airplane. But there's this other part of the job too, where you have to calm passengers or maybe deal with passenger issues or, you know, lately, sadly, there's been a lot of passenger misconduct. Um, so, you know, that's part of the job too. It's not necessarily the part of the job a lot of us signed on for. Um, <laughs> some of us are people, people and do like, you know, communicating and and chatting with the folks and uh providing that level of customer service i'm one of them uh that's why i've always preferred to and will always prefer to fly for uh, a passenger airline rather than uh, uh a cargo airline someplace like fedex or ups uh because i do enjoy that um but you could just tell his uh i gotta talk to these people about this <laughs> and it just kind of just kind of made me chuckle i was like wow 60 years later not much has changed are there any any captains that are like notorious for like monologuing to their passengers like they don't shut up <laughs> there are you know and the problem is is that when you've got 150 200 people in the back of the airplane there's gonna be a subset of the audience that loves it so i mean i flew with a guy you know all over the all over the country and he was always on the PA pointing out historical sites and ge geological, you know, facts and geographical facts. And, you know, I think 98% of the people got off the airplane and they're just like, oh my God, never again. But 2% of the airplane would walk up to him and say, which is like four or five people and say, my God, that was the best flight I ever had. That was amazing. Thank you so much. And he would just kind of puff out his chest and, now he's just proven to himself, reinforced the fact that he's the best captain ever for monologuing for five hours. No, I just, I just have this image of some guy like going on about his lost love. Oh, there's, there's. <laughs> hey, you know, you get the captive audience. Uh, you know, you want to, you want to take advantage of that. 
Well, I had a um in high school, and I I won't name names, uh, because he he was he was a pretty good guy. He was in a bad place this particular day. Showed up possibly drunk, <laughs> giving us a, a a test, and he he'd just gotten a divorce. That's why I'm like he was probably in like a real bad spot. So the extra credit right. question for the quiz that day was, when was my Independence Day? <laughs> <laughs> So we're all like, okay, this guy's not having a good day here, or he's having nope. a great day. I don't know, but uh, maybe I would. Uh, yeah, I can only uh, I can only speculate gladly on that. Some days I I think I know how I'd feel about that. Um, but I did like the uh, after they got that big jolt, which I think they were going faster and faster and faster. I don't really know, but they got that jolt. I think that was them traveling through time, like maybe hitting the time barrier. Slingshot um, in the sun. Yes, exactly. Um, and uh, well, I just so many things there, but I'll I'll stay away from it. Um, so I think that was and that was them going through the time barrier. And he said, "Well, I got to say some of the people." And he said, "We've flown through some clear air turbulence." I was like, "Cool, that's that's a thing. That's a term we still use. Uh, it's turbulence not associated with thunderstorms or anything visible. It's just uh, just can happen at any time. Clear air turbulence uh, and a atmospheric phenomenon." And I was like, "Ooh, I like that. I'm gonna have to use that." We flew through some clear air turbulence and atmospheric phenomena. Save so, it for someone flatulent in the cabin, maybe. Yeah, I'm just going <laughs> to say that could be anything. I mean, that's that's a get out of jail free card, man. <laughs> I was, oh, I, I, I wish I could come up with a specific example, but some of the the like theme park codes for for problems are like pretty wild, you know, because they don't want to be like somebody just had a heart attack. They, you know, right. Um, some yeah <laughs> and they just have like depending on the ride you know it might kind of be themed to whatever it is but the staff all knows what what that means yeah i mean there, there's folks that won't say turbulence on the pa they'll say rough air um they won't say you know thunderstorm they'll say rain showers i actually pretty pretty much agree with that sentiment um you know you know you want if you're if you've got uh, some kind of mechanical situation on the airplane and you want uh, crash fire rescue to come meet you um when they call it ask you air rescue firefighting now um so it just doesn't have the same gravitas to it but you know most people say like the safety equipment's going to take a look at the airplane before we get off the runway and not say crash fire rescue <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Okay. <laughs> At least, you know that, that's how most of the industry is trained, anyway. <laughs> I, I'm just um, thinking of, of just sitting on the plane, hearing that, and kind of like looking around to see people's reactions to that one. You know, like I don't think it personally bugged me, but I totally want to see how everyone else is responding. You know, <laughs> exactly. You know, another nice touch was when they decided to descend, um, and the captain told the FO, "Is like, all right, we're going to descend. Get the horn, get the horn button." I think he said. Uh, so. A warning in jet aircraft, because if you pull the power all the way back to idle, you could very quickly develop a very high rate of descent. And if that happens sort of down close to the ground or more specifically, kind of like right when you're getting ready to land, if the landing gear is not down and you pull the power back to idle, then you get this horn to warn you. The intention is to warn you that the landing gear is not down. Um, but they weren't smart enough to kind of build parameters into the system yet at this point that you really only care if the gears down, if you're below about 1200 feet or so. Um, so anytime you pull the power back all the way to idle, for example, to descend, um, that horn would enunciate. Um, so as if they were as good a team as Rod Sterling sold them as being, uh, during the, during the prologue then the captain probably wouldn't have needed to tell the co-pilot to hit the horn button. Mm -hmm. But uh, it was a nice, I, I, I actually thought it was a nice touch. What, uh, so as, as the layman, I guess what we're thinking about is at this time, the jets are pretty sparsely high altitude. So they're coming down to where all the other planes would be. It's kind right. of like a so Mack that truck pull onto a country lane. Yeah. So that was, that was the fear when he said, all right, we're just going to have to start down. And uh, Craig, maybe his name was Craig Styles. I don't know. Did you get a last name for first oh, officer Craig? I, no, I just assumed his first name was Daniel. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> the one guy that doesn't look like yeah, <laughs> Daniel Craig was named Daniel Craig. Yeah. Um, awesome. Uh, but he was like, oh, we can't do that. There'll be lots of other airplanes down there." And he said, "You got any better ideas? Hit the horn button." Um, 
Yeah, that was that was the thing is that that they were flying way up there. I think they thirty three thousand feet in this one. They're capable of flying even higher. Um, but it was uh, time to start down. They couldn't stay up there forever, um, which got me thinking. You know, sort of. I, I, we had a seven oh seven simulator at my college, and we would fly this thing around. And to the best of my memory, and I did a little sleuthing around on the internet, um, each engine burns about three thousand pounds an hour. Now, when you're taking off or you're climbing, you get the power way up there. It's probably double that, closer to 6,000 pounds, but just kind of cruising along level flight, um, whether you're down low going kind of slower or, or up high going pretty fast. I think that 3,000 pound per hour per engine is a pretty good number, which means 12,000 pounds an hour, right? Four engines, 3,000 pounds an hour. Um, so even if you round that up, even if you go like way high on that and say 16,000 pounds of gas, uh, per hour, um, the number that the flight engineer gave of 49,435 pounds, which man, that's a good gas gauge. If you got it down to five pounds, um, is that's still three to four hours of fuel. Um, and they were acting like fuel was pretty critical. So I'm going to say that this 707, probably burned more fuel and fuel was more critical than they made it sound out to be, um, you know, but to climb back up, punch the engines, get going, you know, over 900 knots again, like they did, and then have to do that twice. That's, that's mm -hmm. getting pretty dicey. Well, it really I, is. I guess also, uh, in the years after us, you would have had more fuel efficient 707s even, right. Or, or can you, so can you, they did re-engine those airplanes. They went from turbo jets, which are those those real skinny jet engines that were on there. Um, they did get uh, 707s have gotten re-engined a number of times with different models over the years, and they have gotten more fuel efficient as they've gone forward. Um, the numbers I was looking at was on those older 707s. Okay. So. At least that's what I was trying to look at. Anyway, I'm going so to like I said, your math I, on that. So, <laughs> yeah, I would think about 12,000 pounds an hour, sort of a cruise, but if it was up around 16, um, you know, considering that they had to do some climbing and, and uh, accelerating and then coming back down, you, you just don't really use a lot of fuel on the descent is, you know, another factor. Uh, but still, man, if I, uh, if we came out of, uh, came out of the clouds and I looked down over, uh, you know, Manhattan, Staten Island and uh, the West End of Long Island, which is, you know, now Brooklyn and Queens, and saw a Veggiesaurus staring at me, just eating leaves off a tree, man. Uh, that I would have, uh, I would have freaked out. That would have oh. been, uh, that that would have been it for me. Yeah, that's where I'm like, these guys keep it pretty cool, right? It's like they they already had read the script, maybe. <laughs> they but, do, uh, yeah. So it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't definitely a hundred percent shock. They knew what was coming. Um, I guess in uh, more modern storytelling or a different different way of doing it, they could have uh, kept it secret from the actors. Um, kind of like <laughs> with the Van Warmer in Animal House and, uh, you know, kept the kept the next scene a secret. And they would have had to react to the, uh, the Brontosaurus. You know, they, yeah, they would have been reacting to the ridiculous models. This is, you know, like you start working out the budget of the show. It's like, okay, American Airlines has basically given us the set for the week. Um, yeah. This, this movie Dinosaurs from 1960 are giving us these ridiculous stop motion dinosaurs. Um, that That's the shot that's it's very charming, but didn't age particularly well. <laughs> Which I think it's, um, I think it's, uh, funny that it was probably the most expensive part of the shoot honestly. yeah uh other than the fact that you know airliners had a crew of five back then uh which was legit right there was there was a pilot and a co-pilot aka captain first officer uh flight engineer working things like the fuel system air conditioning uh you know um the aircraft systems uh in the back you had a communications officer that was a guy making the radio calls and you had a navigator the guy uh uh, you know, who fortunately was named Magellan, which is a great, you know, where you're kind of pigeonholed if your parents name you Magellan, I guess. I did. I, I assume it's Magellan in quotes, just, just, just like, just like you got the name Magellan, right? <laughs> but, um, yeah, you def definitely don't want to stop in dinosaur land and, and on any, you know, in any sense of the word. I mean, Hey, they, maybe they can't even quite breathe the air there for all we know. So, yeah, you know, that's a good point. Cause, uh, exactly. It's a really good point. The other thing that I thought was, you know, you talked about how quaint that scene was, um, we just did on the Roddenberry podcast network, 
uh, Sci-Fi 5 coverage of the film Trog, which was Joan Crawford's last movie. And there was a, it was about a uh, missing link, half man, half ape, um, found in a cave and through some psychotropic drugs and hypnosis, uh, there was a scene of him remembering back in the day, which he ironically or incorrectly could remember some dinosaurs fighting this scene of the dinosaur was better than that scene of the dinosaurs just okay. to let you know okay because uh, a couple a couple years ago um we did um to the valley of guanji guanji is the dinosaur anyway that that's um i don't is it harry housen it's harry housen or, or someone adjacent i think it is harry housen and um those you know those his dinosaurs still look good they're weird looking but they still look good right <laughs> Uh, so, I, you know, it's like you put a certain if there's enough creativity in a questionable effect, I think it still plays um, in the case of this episode. Maybe not. Uh, perhaps we make up with that with our our stock footage of the 39 World's Fair and our, our next time jump, because that, that's some candy <laughs> that so for funny. the eyes. <laughs> that was so funny. He was like, do you know what that is? And I'm like, stock footage of the 39 World's Fair. <laughs> and I'm like, so land. <laughs> Yes. So, you know, it's so funny that you brought up uh, Magellan, who I didn't know this, that, that he stopped somewhere on one of the islands and tried to make a god out of himself. I'm like, land. Yes, land. Have a jet aircraft. Have all the knowledge of the future. You could be like Biff. You could go back. You could crush it. You could absolutely create, you know, what stocks to buy land. Do it. <laughs> you'll that would be my up, solution. You'll eventually catch up with your loved ones in 1961 and you'll be rich. Yes, that's right. They'll be like, "Hey, you look older, but man, you're balling." And you get to ride the original <laughs> Futurama. Hundred percent, man. That would have been awesome. No, I, I guess they have a certain a um certain amount of responsibility, right? So they they got to get they you, you got to land your 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 passengers in the the same year that you took off in, unless it's like right on New Year's Eve. <laughs> did you uh, did you mention the soundtrack in the trivia? I did, and I think it actually was stock. I just it, it worked. It worked great. Yeah, I'm, I'm even thinking at the risk of uh, making my computer dumb down. I, I'm going to double check, but I think it was a stock soundtrack, which kind of surprised me because it really did fit the story well. Like um, uh, I, I've said on a few episodes, the Twilight Zone tends to be a third commission soundtracks, a third repurposed soundtracks, and a third what's in the library. And I think right. this actually was a what's in the library episode man so. it, it sounded great the, the 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 most powerful memory i have of this episode wasn't necessarily the first time i saw it um because i was i was much older than that i was probably in my late teens or so i think i had just started flying light airplanes and training and that sort of sign off um by rod serling was just so powerfully haunting that it just it just stuck with me with the music as it faded out was just so so good yeah yeah so definitely had a nice connection there so i'm i'm, I'm just gonna have to trust my memory was that it actually is stock but and uh, it's uh i'm i don't have the ability to double check at the moment without going across the room and grabbing my ipad so <laughs> no um, no it's just it just worked that was that's that's the the great um the great the great part of it. Um, a couple of things that have not changed at all in the airline business since then and now. Uh, flight attendant uh, asking, not asking, but uh, making the point that not only do you have to be an honorable man if we are to go out, but you also have to be single. That needs to, <laughs> that, that always seems to be made clear. Um, I uh, I am married. I do not. Uh, I'm not in the practice of taking flight attendants out. Or asking them out, but uh, the one when I do chat with them, they're always like, "Yeah, so and so went out with this guy for like three months, then found out he was married." I was like, "How do you keep that? How do you not, like show? I want to know. No, I don't want to know. Um, not how, how you, much? <laughs> yeah, they're just they're just not home much, I guess. Um, but yeah, I thought that was funny. Uh, and single being the operative word, um, and then also you know flight attendants asking the pilots to make a PA. You know, you would think that the passengers would listen to. A flight attendant who picks up the radio and says, hey, we're getting some bumps. Captain, turn on the fast seatbelt sign. Please sit down. Um, or if they say, you know, we're getting ready to land, please 
you know, we're going to come through and collect any trash and stuff like that. And it's amazing how often we're, we're kind of asked to, Hey, could you make a PA? Um, because we're not, they're not, they're just not listening to us, especially in kind of a non-routine situation. If there's a mechanical delay, if there's a weather delay, if there's something where there's just a little bit more, um, technical knowledge needed, um, because the skill sets of flight attendants is, is phenomenal. They know how to do so many things from, from first aid to de-escalate things, to evacuate an aircraft. Um, like what they do is, is very specialized and, and very important. They do, they're highly trained and professional, but if they need to communicate something about the weather or an aircraft malfunction or an air traffic control delay or those kind of things, specifically then is when they ask us to make the announcement. And that, and that makes sense. But uh, I kind of got a little bit of a um, a sense of wow, that hasn't changed when the flight attendant asked the captain to make a announcement. Mm-hmm. If you look out to the right, you'll see a pterodactyl flying alongside us. Give him a little wave. <laughs> and if you look out the other window and you see a gremlin on the wing, that's just the B plot, folks. <laughs> <laughs> we have other things to deal with. Yeah, yeah. What, what's random time travel or uh or or gremlins on the wing worse i don't know that's um, that's a great note i want to i want to definitely give you credit for that i just looked down and saw your note that said if shatner was on the flight it would be the b story <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah oh that's my own thought okay cool being spat back and i love when that happens <laughs> yeah um, um just, I'm just to rank I'm looking... a few feathers my my final note which maybe belies you mentioned the the closing is creepy which uh, i was like oh they could have closed with dr samuel beckett never returned home <laughs> <laughs> and spell it wrong <laughs> yeah <laughs> so um yeah I, I guess this plane does make it home in the end so because it has to because it's trying to sell the Boeings. <laughs> i guess so so is that is that your do you, do you is that how you sort of uh envision this in your head canon that it uh it makes it home well, actually, no, I'm not sure because of my last note. So, <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know, man. I just I, I had this. I've always had this sort of really haunting feeling that I'm going to go outside some night and just hear um, what doesn't sound like a modern airliner. Right. They have a very different sound with those those turbojet aircraft, um, those straight pipe jet engines that I'm going to go outside one night and just hear those like howling, you know, on a windy overcast night. And I'm just going to have to shoot up a flare or do something because that's, (laughs) that's flight 33 and they're trying to make it home. Uh, I just, I don't know. Maybe they, I think they, they might eventually make it home. I just, it's, it was just so wonderfully um, burned into my memory. I'm just thinking of um, the one where, the, the Simpsons Halloween special where Homer is going through multiple realities and finally settles on with his, his toaster. Right. And finally he's like, Oh, they all have like fly tongues. He's like, oh, close enough. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, maybe they'll get close enough again, 39 world's fair seem close enough to me. Just, they, they probably have some awesome food there. <laughs> oh, I bet. Yeah. I like, I, I, I mean, you saw my notes. I'm like, yes, land. Because like we can't land at LaGuardia, it's only got five thousand feet. We can't land in nineteen thirty nine. I'm like, not with that spirit, you can't. Yeah, <laughs> you can't. <laughs> so it. you crash the plane a little bit. You'll be heroes, dude. Airplanes run off the end of the runway at LaGuardia all the time. Like, <laughs> chances are they'll be fine. Um, and then you'll company. be, and then you'll be gods. Yeah, there we go. Um, Let's let's do a few questions on this episode. I, I think in this case, who went into the twilight zone is, is a relatively easy question. Um, do you want to go any further than this plane? Yeah, every, the plane and everybody on it. Yeah, <laughs> no, I don't think so. And you outside at night shooting a flare. I guess if you are that person, you are you're a twilight zone adjacent, but they don't appear in this episode. So true. Yeah, you you were not in this one, if I remember correctly. <laughs> any any possibility of this being a um you know a delusion by one of the people on there? Um, since you brought up Ferris Bueller's Day off, there's the the fan theory that uh, the whole movie was just a Cameron fever dream. Could this have been a uh, sort of a uh, a hero hero delusion from from the captain? I don't think so. Yeah, I think I the think... whole plane went into the twilight zone. Yeah, and and once they start seeing back in time stuff outside of the windows that's pretty much where we're like 
okay, that, that seals the deal. The captain's not just flipping out. That seals the deal. Yep. So the next question. So we'll talk, I'll talk about the, the crew, talk about the passengers. Do they deserve this trip into the twilight zone? Cause uh, again, Dr. Samuel Beckett, I mean, he, he brought that upon himself to continue mm-hmm. quantum leaping forever. Whereas this, these folks were just trying to get to uh, New York. I don't think they did. If there was some foreshadowing of, you know, this plane's not ready yet, um, you know, or, or those kind of, you know, kind of tropes with new aircraft types where the test pilots go into the manufacturer and saying something's wrong. It's too fast. We're flying too high. Nobody knows what's going to happen. You know, then I would say, yes, this, this, no, well-trained, um, you know, crew working together as a, as a well, well-oiled machine. Uh, flying, you know, using the right procedures, using the, you know, correct terminology. Um, no, I think they were doing all the right things. I don't think they deserved it whatsoever. Uh, what did they mention where they had flown from? I, I did. I don't remember if they mentioned that in the episode or not. Cause now I'm like, maybe, maybe they were, you know, flying above the Bermuda triangle or something. No, it, I mean, if they were going, you know, from, um, they were talking to Gander control, which is uh, kind of an air traffic service or air traffic control facility that you speak to crossing the North Atlantic. Um, that that those procedures are, are essentially unchanged as far as I know to this day. Um, and it's sort of there's sort of a radio relay station. Um, so no, they weren't they weren't near there. I I mean I think they must have been flying somewhere from from say Western Europe or at least overflew Western Europe before before crossing the North Atlantic. Uh, but I don't think they ever said, I think they just said en route to Idlewild. Okay. Yeah. Cause that had me wondering, and I, I'm, I'll date my last viewing of the film millennium by saying, I remember I rented it on VHS from a West coast video. So the last time I saw it, so I don't remember much, oh, but I think that, that if I remember that movie has them uh, specific Bermuda triangle crossing or something. Oh yeah. And it, uh, I'd like to say Cheryl Ladd never looked so good, but uh, Cheryl Ladd does not look bad in anything she has ever done. Um, even, even, even in that film. <laughs> but yeah, I, I was, I, I almost wondered like, do I need to watch that film again? Just because I was like, does that actually riff from this? I, I can't remember. Cause just, you know, just as research for this. Oh, <laughs> uh, I would no, I didn't have the, um, did not have the motivation that far, but it, it did have me like kind of curious about that one again for, for other, you know, weird time tripping passenger jets. Right. Let's put this episode on the tripometer. Zero is not trippy all. Five is very trippy. Um, decimals are fine. Interesting noises are fine. What, what do you want to <laughs> give it? Zero through five, you say? Yeah. Um, boy time travel um you know the 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 only thing that i could somehow sort of think about was you know there was so much talk and 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 breaking the sound barrier was such a big deal that the only thing i could think was that this is some sort of hypothetical time barrier that they hit which is an interesting concept um, you know, you go fast enough, you go back in time, you go fast enough, uh, going the other way around the sun, you, you go forward in time. Um, so it, uh, I think it's, I don't think time travel is really anything new at that point. Uh, I think applying it to, you know, an airliner going way too fast. I don't think it was super trippy, man. I'm thinking it was like a, like a two point, uh, Maybe like a two point square root of two. Okay. Yeah. That's a good, uh, not quite a decimal, but yeah, I can take it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying, man, uh, me and math is weird. Like I wasn't that great at math at school, but uh, you know, decent enough. And then, and then about 15 years ago, I was teaching English and math and my math skills were like real sharp for uh, up to, you nice. know, like, like up to trigonometry. I, I didn't know. I've never had calculus, but uh, yeah, I, can barely compute numbers in my head anymore i've lost the skill it's you, you got to use it or you lose it you know it, it's true yeah there used to be some pretty pretty i used to yes i agree i'll just leave it at that 
yeah so anyway wait, I, I was sitting there trying to actually work out the square root of two and i was like i don't want to do that anymore i guess it's like 1.66 i don't know <laughs> no, yeah no, i think it's giving up giving up okay giving up <laughs> um, <laughs> I, i'm gonna go higher because um for me the atmosphere i mean the atmospheric conditions of this episode were pretty trippy so i'm gonna take it all the way up to 4.5 subtract a point for wow. the dinosaur and then add 0.5 for showing me the 39 World's Fair and settling on a four. <laughs> that's, you know, I, I like the way you showed your work. I mean, that's, that's very important in math as well. Not just to give the answer, but how'd you get there? That was oh, good. Oh, that's why. No, actually, that's why I would um, get bad scores in my high school math classes, because I just put the I do it all in my head and just write the answer down. But that's why I just did. I didn't write it down. I, I told you it. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, no, that was good stuff. But uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm notoriously bad for not showing my work, actually. <laughs> but yes, yes, yes. Uh, you every everyone just heard my work on that, and and we're settling on a four for this because yeah, it it does have a, a bit of trippy. Um, one weird thing on the back end of season two of the Twilight Zone I've been noticing is they are like kind of pushing a little harder and allowing something totally whack like the dinosaur or the um the space the space guys and the invaders just to look ridiculous i don't i don't know if you watched the invaders recently but it looks like they you know picked up like a plush buzz lightyear toy from disneyland and just kind of stuck it on screen and someone's like that, pushing it from behind <laughs> that just makes it so much better <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah you you just gotta love it's like okay this is how we're going to do it. You know, we're not going to do any like actual screen optics or anything. It's just, this is, this is what it is. So <laughs> I, they did a little stop motion here. So that's cool. Uh, I, I it was, think, it was good. I think, I, I think the production did borrow the stuff from dinosaur and do it themselves. They didn't like take it from that movie. Okay. That that's interesting. Um, you know, back to Trog with, uh, with our coverage of that, those dinosaur scenes were co-opted from another production. That they so they they purchased that footage from uh, a a documentary that was that was produced um, for the time of the dinosaurs and used that and it was uh, it was not good, <laughs> <laughs> but maybe trippy. I'm sure Trog has to be pretty high on the trichometer. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. I think I've seen it, but it probably would have been around like the year 2000 when they, you know, like they suddenly MGM in particular just started like, like dumping caught films every other week and you stumble mm -hmm. into Best Buy and be, you know, 10 bucks where it was a new releases of 20. So it's like, I'm watching weird caught films. <laughs> now you just Heck watch yeah. them on YouTube, but, uh, <laughs> yep. but you watch fewer of them, you know, some like, like you mentioned watching all of bond on, um, not Netflix, whatever you watched on, uh, but for me, I would never get through Bond that way. I got, you know, I got the set from when Skyfall came out. So I have everything up to Skyfall. Don't have the, the last two Craigs, but, <laughs> you know, I would just nice. pop in the disc and do it that way, you know? Yeah. You know, it, you know, it was, and, and uh, you can probably edit this out, but um, when I was in grad school, I was kind of like hunkering down at home, kind of getting, trying to get my graduate research project done. And, you know, it was that time of year where I think TBS was showing two films a night. Now, at that point, there were it was pre-Pierce Brosnan, post-Daniel, uh, excuse me, Timothy Dalton, pre-Pierce Brosnan. So there were only 15 films, um, plus Casino Royale and um, Never Say Never Again, which, you know, whatever. Um, so, but for like about an entire week, I was just, those movies were on and I was just, just trying to kind of kind of process my research into something that made sense and just that that time period just uh i just kind of wanted to revisit and, and watch all the movies again while i could and it was it was a blast it, it really was yeah yeah um so so I, I'm, I'm not gonna we need bond talk like like i said 30 minutes of a focused twilight zone talk and the rest can <laughs> go wherever it needs to so um so now that we're talking you, you got to give me your your favorite bond Film, film. I don't need to know your favorite Bond. I want to know your favorite Bond film. Um, I think Skyfall. I can almost agree with you, but I, I, I'm still angry at that movie for uh, killing the fan theory that James Bond is a code name that all of these guys get. So it, it it's interesting because I, I, I view watching watching the other ones all the way through. Bond, I don't think there is any doubt 
mean, there could be doubt, but but I think I think the films from Sean Connery, Lazenby, Moore, and Dalton, and Pierce Brosnan, it's all the same character. There's there's references to the wife. There's references to the past. There's it. It's I I believe that all of those actors played the same character, and then Daniel Craig, Craig Bond was a reboot. Right. They, they started right. that off in the beginning and, and promoted him to double O sat double O status after, you know, he got that second kill, which was easier than the first. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I so that was that was the first sort of true reboot. Um, and the rest of the films, really, I mean, I don't know how, you know, James stayed so fit for, you know, 40 years, but uh, <laughs> 30. Yeah. 40 years. Um Marvel but, yeah, comics that was, continuity. Yeah, but that was that was all you know in, in my mind, as far as I could read it, you know, watching the movies one after the next, after the next, after the next, you know, inside a month, that was all the same character. Um yeah. and there that's, was that's, some go ahead. Oh, that's why I was bringing up Marvel Comics, because if you yeah. look at the original X-Men, you know, Scott Summer Cyclops is clearly 18. Mm-hmm. And around in the mm-hmm. mid 2000s, he's clearly made to be like 35. It's like, well, that doesn't work. <laughs> no, it doesn't work. And then there's X-Men Evolution where it's like, you know, contemporary, but they're all in high school. And it's like, whoa, 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 hey, hey, whoa, that's 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 not my Cyclops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I, I'm not going to say it's the best Bond film by any means, because it's definitely not. But the one I watch most often is Moonraker. <laughs> <laughs> so there is something that the, the one thing that I do miss in Craig Bond is that that sort of charm, that boyish charm. Um, and it's a tough, it's a tough thing to pull off. I think Roger Moore relied on it too much. Mm-hmm. Um, I think honestly, Pierce Brosnan probably struck a really good balance of badassery and um, sort of British charmingness and aloofness um whereas daniel craig was just pretty much full-on badass um you know the, the whole time so i think films like moonraker um and uh for your eyes only are fun- just just a wonderful amount of fun you know the the opening scenes on those on those films are just so outrageous and so in your face and then the Bond theme plays before they, they roll the opening credits. And it's just so much fun. And the, I think the Daniel Craig movies missed out on a little bit of that kind of naive, um, sort of boyish fun that the other films had. Quantum of Solace hints at it a little bit, but then they kind of pulled back and got more serious after that. So Right. Um, and, and I, I find that one to be quite underrated. But uh, the fun thing with Moonraker is I have a friend who also considers that basically his favorite Bond film. It's like, yeah, I love the first half and then I kind of get bored. I'm like, oh, the second half is the part I like when they're on space and it's the whack effects. So, yep. <laughs> but then he reminds me that he, he drives a gondola up onto the street. So I'm like, okay, yes, that's cool. <laughs> 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 okay. Yes. Yeah, so people hey people who watch a twilight zone probably want to hear a little bond talk every now and then so you know i can't blame them we could dig that and and we are like an hour in on this one so a little little bond bonus for you that i i'm gonna leave that in because i i want to hear about it so um but <laughs> pulling back into twilight zone land and and for your um your podcasting land what what's up on your scene these days hey I know we're hopefully between Orville's uh, or we might be past Orville's, but yeah. So it, it's tough to know. I mean, we had, we had a great run. We did, uh, we covered all um, 36 episodes of the first three seasons and a number of supplementals. Um, uh, we had guests, uh, Andre Bormanis, um, Tom Costantino, David A. Goodman and Seth MacFarlane, all guests on the show. Most recently we covered uh, the novella sympathy for the devil so that's available on the Roddenberry Podcast Network as well, as well as anywhere you get your podcasts. Um, coming up, um, hearing some rumors that there might be some good news coming uh, the next week or so. So maybe by the time this drops, we'll we'll hear something. Um, and we're doing a rewatch on the Mission Log Discord uh, Wednesday nights, eight Eastern, five Pacific, where we uh, we're about just coming up on episode six right now. 
as of this recording of season one. So uh, watching an episode and then kind of discussing our coverage on Mission Alive, the Orville. Um, if you want to join that, uh, patreon.com uh, slash mission log, just kind of join at whatever level works for you. That'll give you access to the Mission Log Discord. And we have our live chat on Wednesday nights. Uh, Matt, I know you're doing something similar. That's right. Um, I, I do it on the Mission Log Discord. So I don't mention every episode, but because uh, there's it's like the Mission Log crews there. But people that do want to hear your stuff into that, uh, Sundays with currently it's going to be 3 3.30 p.m. Pacific time, 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time uh, while you're on Standard Time is um, time enough to chat on Sundays. And we talk about the mostly about the two episodes that most recently aired on the podcast. But um, just as this episode proves, tangents are fine. And if we end up talking about Bond for 15 minutes, you know, that's that's what happens. So uh, come on in. <laughs> we just started a few weeks ago and it's, it's been fun so far. I've been tasked to find the um, the Twilight Zone CD soundtrack, which is apparently a Japanese only release from like 1990 or something. So. So a little, little oh, bit no of way. digging for that, but uh, hey, hey, I might find it because I, I find weird things often. Um, time, but yeah, time enough podcast. Uh, you can find us or find me in particular. Uh, time enough pod on Twitter or Facebook. Um, the reason I don't always mention the mission blog was because because then we have my I, our own Patreon, which makes things a little confusing. But if you would like to support us that way. That's a podcastio podcastius, which brings you in to get early episodes of this Matt and Luke's sci-fi sanctuary, uh, some gamer stuff with Luke loves Pokemon monster mash and the game game show. So it's a little convoluted at the moment, but it's all fun for me at least. So hopefully it's fun for you. <laughs> it's fun for me. Okay. That, that had to be my weirdest plug. Cause I'm yeah trying to <laughs> balance all of this together, but uh, yeah, again, like, I, I've been having a great time on the Mission Log Discord, and this podcast is uh, extremely welcome and has some very groovy fans on that Discord. So definitely got to give that a shout out as well. <laughs> so, what what year do you want to land your your next plane in? Man, if I could if I could have landed that plane in 1939, I would have done that. Uh, I think I would have done that in a heartbeat. Um, you know, prevent World War II, make things worse. <laughs> 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 just kidding right they always say that right you go back you try to you know you try to make things better you just end up making it worse um no man i'm uh you know i'm uh this i think this is peak mike right here man i think it's only downhill from here so if i was gonna land uh, if i was gonna land my plane i'd land it right right now in uh 2022 okay sounds good although i i personally would like to take a stop at the uh 67 monterey pop festival first but <laughs> yeah that'd be pretty watch, badass watch the show get back on the plane then i'll land in 2022 or whenever <laughs> refuel Thank mm-hmm. you.